0: To everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or why to believe it, but rather explore our Christian beliefs and why they matter for us in relation to God, to creation, and to others. My name is Aaron Ross. Welcome back to Everyday Theology. My name is Aaron Ross. With me today, I've got a new friend, uh, always saying friends, but new friend with me, Helen Collins. Helen, thank you so much for being here today.
1: It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Um, Yeah, of course. Helen is an Anglican priest, uh, so we have some in common with that. Uh, A vice principal academic and tutor in practical theology at Trinity College uh, in Bristol in the UK, for all my American uh, listeners. I don't know if we we probably have a Bristol in the US, and I don't know. Uh, Her books include Reordering Theological Reflection, uh, Starting with Scripture, and Mary the Worshipping Mother, And the book that we are talking about today, which I'm showing on the screen, even though people are probably just listening to this, but they might be watching, Charismatic Christianity, which is an introduction about theology through the gifts of the Spirit. Helen, again, thanks so much for being here. I'm looking forward to today.
1: Yeah, me too.
0: Helen, if you don't mind, for my guests who may not know you, if you wouldn't mind giving a bit more of an introduction, anything about you, your life, how you got into academic world, writing, whatever it is that you feel comfortable with sharing
1: yeah great so um i uh grew up in the midlands in the uk um quite a working class um setting and context um everyone i was related to lived in the same town on like both sides um but um so grew up in a very traditional anglican church um and kind of came to a living faith in my early teens, particularly through the charismatic movement and kind of classic summer camp type uh, things, you know, where you you make your commitment to Jesus every year, just in case it didn't stick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when, you know, responded to all the calls for, you know, every gift, every possible ministry, I was there. Um, if you
0: did it once a year, then... My trauma might be a little bit higher since mine was like every week in my Pentecostal okay. church. Okay. So yeah,
1: yeah. In in between times, the church we were in like did not do that at all. So oh god, you had to really go for it once a year. Um, and then um was the first in my family to go to university. Um, went and studied um theology at Oxford, which was kind of a really different experience. Um. Uh, It was taught very non-confessionally, very academic, very rational and cerebral and critical um, and Mm. kind of very strongly uh, historical critical readings of the Bible, but a great grounding in kind of uh, biblical languages and um, kind of wider scholarship and a ton of fun. But I was also at a very charismatic um, conservative church at the time. And so it was this kind of really weird, like, disconnected experience of um
2: mm.
1: what I was being taught in my university setting and what I was experiencing in my kind of church context and how that was so different from my Anglican upbringing um and it wasn't until I came to train uh, for ordained ministry that studying theology confessionally but academically but in and with and by the spirit in a kind of worshiping community mm. for the sake of the church um that there was kind of a bit of a reconciliation of those different identities or those different hats. Um, so yeah, I've been teaching here at Trinity for the last six years um, and within kind of practical theology, um, but um see myself actually as quite an interdisciplinary theologian. Um, I did an MA in kind of social anthropology of religion and so looking at much more of the qualitative and quantitative kind of empirical work mm-hmm. that kind of informed my PhD studies. Um, where I was kind of looking at a, um, I guess, a feminist perspective on charismatic theology and charismatic worship through the lens of um, motherhood. um, Using the experience of having children and the disruptions that that creates to your spiritual life, um, particularly within a charismatic setting, and what are the scripts and the expectations that we're presented with um, from both a kind of secular like what should a what is a good mother um what's a good mother in the church and what is a good christian um in a charismatic setting how does yeah engage in kind of worship and discipleship and finding actually that those that was quite a clashing experience between huh. what I thought a good mother should do and be and what kind of charismatic worship was seeking to form me in um and so my writing ever since has kind of been an outworking of different parts of that phd uh research so yeah my previous publication was looking very much at kind of theological reflection method, practical theology how do we how do we bring together diverse kind of sources and disciplines um, and how can we legitimately call it theology um and um, yeah have done some work around the motherhood and the, and I want to, my next project is going to be something around Mary for charismatics um but that's uh, yeah I work in progress but so where i'm at this book kind of sits in very much looking at some of that um learning over the last well more than a decade um of kind of thinking well what is what is charismatic theology what is charismatic christianity um how do we explain it articulate it tradition people in it renew it and for the sake of kind of faithful practice in the church
0: yeah Uh, so much there i mean i Honestly, like the 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 topics on Mary, I love the resurgence in in non-Catholic spaces, maybe of talking about Mary, especially Pentecostal. I've had a couple guests on. A good friend of mine, Chris Green,'s been working a lot yeah. on that, uh, which I really appreciate. And and it's so fascinating. I mean, honestly, I, I almost want to, I know we have to talk about your book, but I yeah. almost want to take just like a yeah. a whole uh Kind of side rail, maybe, maybe we will at some point in the podcast. But about about that topic, about feminism in the charismatic church, and about uh, just a woman's quote unquote role and spiritual life, uh, especially after birth. I mean, it's a conversation my wife and I have had a lot because we both grew up in Pentecostal charismatic spaces, and it is a big clashing of what's expected versus what's good or healthy or what's right. Like, so I would love to maybe we we'll, maybe we'll get in that a little bit but let's focus here to start with talking about your book right and you you gave this a little bit there it's not working somewhat of your work with your phd yeah. but you know uh, as we both know right often when you're writing a book and you're t- trying to get a publisher to publish it they're saying okay well, what other books are out there that are like this and then you know how does your book fill you know that that emptiness the void that's not there so for you writing this almost what was your answer to that question right why did you feel like this book was necessary at this point in our christian kind of especially western christian thought process
1: yeah so i am um, kind of um a few different answers to that question so a lot of the there's kind of a hugely growing uh body of literature that mostly tags itself pentecostal um mm-hmm. in terms of kind of thinking um about what a um pneumatologically informed theology that kind of has grown out of the Pentecostal movement has to say to, um, wider doctrines, interpretations of scripture, um, et cetera. And I was kind of charismatic, they're often used interchangeably charismatic Pentecostal yeah. or kind of charismatic is sometimes seen as the, um, you know, the sort of primly packaged middle-class kind of expression of actually Pentecostalism is a much more, um, uh, uh, authentic real uh gritty mm-hmm. um, yeah I
0: think kind of- we often called it in my circles on the fringe not fringes like in the weird way but like on the kind of like fringes of society type of
1: yeah 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 whereas charismatic that. is kind of often much more um middle class expressions of kind of what that might look like so i wanted to um I wanted to kind of give a charismatic offering, very much drawing on Pentecostal research and seeing those as absolutely kind of um, related and interdependent. But deliberately using the language of charismatic. Um, not many women are writing in this space, and so that was another kind of you know what might this kind of I don't call it a feminist perspective. I don't particularly, but I'm that is where I'm coming from and kind of trying to think how do we um, problematize certain um, things that we've inherited or assumed. Um, and um, so kind of offering a um, feminist-informed perspective on the charismatic movement. Um, and a lot of the literature, um, I mean, Acts is obviously a kind of classic source and text that is frequently right. used and referred to, but the gifts of the spirit are, um, you get books about the gifts of the spirit, um, which tend to be much more focused on either kind of exegesis or practice. Um, or they're sort of just there in the background they're not kind of and I wanted to kind of say actually these something about the practicing of all of the spiritual gifts often it would then be honed down to you know the supernatural spiritual gifts um and yeah. so I wanted to say what does um what does charismatic theology look like through through that lens and from that kind of location of focusing on the gifts of the spirit um which not many other publications were were doing in that kind of way so
0: yeah, so let me ask two questions out of that. Just, I think, two clarifying questions for the audience, yeah. uh, audience listeners. I still don't know what to call people who listen to podcast. I'm one of them, but I don't know what to call myself. <laughs> friends, yeah, for my friends. Yeah. Um, two clarifying questions. You know, and we'll start with feminism. Feminism in in so many places, especially in the West and in, in Pentecostal circles. Uh, particularly, but evangelical in the broader sense, right? Because we still have a problem, particularly in our research places, that try to equate Pentecostals and evangelicals, and we're really not the same, even though we might have some similarities, right? But but the word feminism is a dirty word, right? Uh, still, it, it's still because of the feminism of the '70s and the '80s and the turns that feminism has has taken. It's still a word that's really hard for some christians to hear and then go well that doesn't just disqualify immediately what's coming next right so maybe if you can kind of explain what you mean by feminism to help kind of put some i don't think many of my listeners are probably in that camp but just in case like how do we kind of put someone at ease to go here's what we really mean when we mean feminism
1: yeah and i guess to me pentecost is at the heart of um affirming the full humanity of all people um, you know in the last days says the Lord I will pour out my spirit your sons and your daughters will prophesy your old mm. and your young um, slaves and free will um, participate in this new eschatological work of God and um, feminism is one of the ways alongside um, post-colonial understandings but kind of um, Mujavista theology uh, Latina theology of saying um, that hasn't always been lived out in the church this sense of yeah. Full, um, the full humanity of um, of people in their embodied differences has been se- not just recognised, but celebrated, included, affirmed um, as manifestations of what it means to speak the diverse uh, to speak the wonders of god in diverse tongues um and that being embodied by different people in different places um and god delighting you know willie jennings and stuff like god delighting to speak the wonders of god in diverse mm. tongues and through different bodies um so kind of feminism is one of the ways of saying um how how is the full humanity of women um affirmed, recognized, included, not to the detriment or exclusion of men, but um, like for, for the flourishing of all, I think.
2: Yeah.
1: And recognizing that patriarchy has been um, a context within which our scriptures have been written and interpreted. um, And therefore, how do we, how how do we read and interpret in those liberative ways that,
0: um, yeah. Yeah yeah and those um attitudes are so deeply ingrained, right? Like, I mean, I was just in a Facebook warrior typing kind of match, you know uh, online activism of 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 with someone and just talking about, and I say that aggrandized. It wasn't that, you know, no one's yelling in all caps. but the conversation about, you know, the perception of patriarchy and the sense that just because it has been the outstanding. Pragmatic for some way of being for however long never means it's right, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it that that kind of argument can be used for really morally repugnant things, and so why we just kind of go well that's the this is the way it's always been and how it should be because it's always been I don't know I struggle with that argument quite a bit, right? Yeah. So what are the what would you say? So that's I like that, right? We talk about this like the whole person. I mean, clearly as a Pentecostal, uh, I'm there with you at Acts chapter two, and we talk about this idea of the whole person, what the what the coming of the eschaton means for humanity and how we should enact that today. And that's partially why for me, being a person who uh is still charismatic right and and the gifts and the workings of the spirit that that's so important so maybe you know a lot of my listeners might be uh <laughs> uh aware of a recent conference that happened here in the states um again about you know the the, char- the charisms are no longer are no longer there. They're no longer for us. They have died out. They died out with the apostolic age or whatever, all the language that might be used. Um, and it's not the first time that MacArthur has put on something like this. In fact, the last time he called us all heretics, which I don't know if I'm still have forgiven him in my heart on. Uh What do we mean when we say charismatic? Like, What are its kind of central ideas that are going to inform the theology that you're looking at uh, in relation to the spirit in your book?
1: So I guess, um, like, charis is a gift of grace. The idea that God would have stopped gifting his church with grace for the flourishing of life in the world is, to me, a rather perplexing... (laughs) idea um kind of god's gift to the church of christ um in the power of the spirit to live and minister and love um in the world as the body of christ um so Mm -hmm. the charisms i i very much um use paul's kind of language and terminology in his various lists but i see them much it's not only those things and actually paul's lists are massively diverse um yeah you know like faith is a gift of the spirit is that something that you know has ceased to be the case in the kind of present um con i guess uh, charismatics are often, you know, the kind of big four of prophecy, tongues, healing and miracles. Um, a lot of the literature focus on those as the so-called charismatic gifts. And I think in the book, I'm saying, yes, absolutely. Like, what does it look like to um, to practice these um, as gifts that God gives us in a diversity of yeah. ways? But it's not just those things. It's also teaching. It's also helping. It's also caring. It's also discerning um, and Arguably the church is in desperate need of these um as yeah, gifts, empowering gifts of the spirit to yeah. listen, faithfully together in the world.
0: Yeah. And and with that, I I want to kind of dive into some of the the language of chapter two. Um and I found this one in particular important because you use a word even to title the chapter and you call it enchantment, right? Yeah. And and you're entitling the chapter enchantment. And it's really interesting to do so because we live in such a disenchanted world, right? Particularly in the West, right? I mean, that may not be the same case in some parts of the global South and other parts of the world, but we live in a very disenchanted world. Uh, my last guest, we actually were having a whole long conversation on modernism, postmodernism, and now metamodernism, and, and almost in some sense, the reenchantment of the world. Um, why did you find that language? And what are, you, what are you trying to say when you're talking about enchantment? Like, what do we need to kind of break out of both the scientific modernism that told us the world is disenchanted, if you can't explain it with science, it's not there, and the postmodern, nothing's real anyways. What are we trying to do when we're trying to talk about enchantment within the world, particularly as it relates to the the gifts of the spirit?
1: Yeah, Um. so I think I that term I've kind of borrowed from um, James K. Smith uses it in his book. Mm -hmm. Um, And Cheryl Bridges Johns has just put, which I hadn't read before I published my book, but she, um, I can't remember the title. I'm looking around to see if I can say it, but it's kind of like the reading, oh, the re-enchanting the text. Yeah, right. She's published in terms of how we, um, and I think recognizing for ourselves that this situation of seeing, of kind of overly, Um, you know, a materialistic, a materialism of the world, there is nothing other than the kind of what we can measure, what we can see, is um, anomalous, both historically and culturally. Like it feels normal, um, you know, like the air that we might breathe in particular kind of Western settings, but actually the majority of, um, not just the global church but the world kind of still has this deep sense of the role like the spiritual realm the role yeah. of the, um that which is um that can't be seen that can't be quantified but still is deeply impacting how how the world operates and also historically you know to kind of not see humans as having souls or if they're being a kind of um life beyond is so we're the weird ones like this kind of western right um right and it's almost like a recovery like to recognize our own weirdness in relation to all other humans through history and presently globally um that to see that we are um yeah we are more than the material and as christians that's you know god who is spirit who creates the cosmos um that the whole this is kind of amos young's work very much like the infused creation that Mm -hmm. the spirit is natural to creation because it was made in and by and through um the spirit in christ um as so yeah the way in which um our material world is dependent upon infused by birthed out of um orientated towards the life of um of god by the spirit i guess is what i'm trying to kind of reawaken when we think about enchantment and kind of the charismatics that's a bit like yeah duh um yeah the um yeah the um the 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 deep integration between the spiritual and the material, yeah. um, and that, um, that that's kind of creation's proper um, orientation.
0: I love I love it reminds me of something that Daniel Costello writes in in talking about pneumatology. I think it's in his actually like maybe it's his pneumatology, a short introduction book, right, where he makes he makes this kind of statement, this claim. And in discussion with Kantian metaphysics and all the like, right? Where he makes the claim that, you know why do we use the language supernatural when it comes to the work of the spirit? When in reality, that is the most natural way in which the world works. We shouldn't be calling it supernatural because that's the natural. We are outside of the natural uh, when we're working in these disenchanted ways, this materialistic ways, right? That really has stuck with me as, even as a Pentecostal myself, always being like, you've given language to the way in which we've tried to enact within the world, but we're fighting with these worldviews, we're fighting with these perceptions, we're fighting with these things that kind of tell us, yeah, we're the weird ones, right? When actually we've been doing what is the most natural, uh, even though it may seem out of of nature, right? Um, Which drives me to, okay, so, you know, this book, right? I mean, if... If it's me, I'm excited. I got an email about it. I was like, "Yes, I would love to have a conversation about this. I want it. I want to have it." Uh, I was honest with you. I uh, we're in the midst of so much craziness. I didn't even tell you we just had a kid a couple weeks ago. Like everything is crazy in my life, so I haven't been able to fully read it all, which I'm going to. But for a lot of people, they might see charismatic Matt Christian and go, "Ooh!" Like because of that worldview, I am out. Right? Like I don't. I don't like this. You know, it's it. I can't order my world neatly through these things. How does one? How does one actually try to do the work to allow for the reenchantment, not only of their own life but of their Christian spirituality, of the way they engage with the world? I mean, I know that's not necessarily a topic of your book, but I think it's really important as we're thinking about reading this and going, okay, this is a good model, good way forward to thinking about our theology
1: um yeah so i guess the first um part of the question in terms of people that would go <laughs> i uh, i totally get that um i think i would especially encourage those people to engage with the book we live in a time where to um to engage well with different perspectives just becomes harder and harder the algorithms that feed us the things that we already agree with mm-hmm. My hope would be that in reading this book, there'd be a lot more like, oh, yeah, I can sign up to that. Like, yeah, I can. <laughs> I think, yeah. that's good. you know, um, I part of the conclusion I come to is actually all of Christian faith is charismatic in the sense of gifted by God's grace in and through the spirit. Like to have faith is not something um, it's, you know, that we do we work up we strive for faith itself is a gift of god that we receive um and that is um yeah that's the uh, the gift of the of, of the spirit and so i hope that lots of traditions that wouldn't call them charismatic might find within um the book certainly areas of overlap there'll be areas of challenge but there are also big areas of challenge for charismatics i think where i'm yeah. saying yes we do these things these kind of so called supernatural practices um there are actually quite a few problems with how we've often practiced those um excesses or narrowing of kind of certain understandings that have excluded other perspectives so I'm arguing for how actually both charismatics and non-charismatic Christians can learn a lot by kind of becoming more, um, uh, more charismatic in a kind of dependence on the spirit sense um so how we celebrate all of the gifts so where charismatics are focusing only on a few what does it look like to equally embrace the other gifts of the spirit that might be more natural um is still a deeply charismatic practice because it's a constant recognition of our dependence on god for our very life and so yeah. how do we how do we kind of enter into that more enchanted place that you were saying i think ultimately we put ourselves in places to receive receive it uh, you- you know, it's not something that we we do or make, it's something that right. um, God delights to gift and so those um, times and places where our imagination is expanded, where our hearts are warmed, where our um, kind of anger at the state of the world and the need to participate in kind and peaceful and just ways of being. Um, I guess if if all of those are in orientated to God in Christ by the spirit, then we are, we're living out that kind of, um, yeah. Yeah. Integrated, um, holistic spirit infused faith.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I like that, especially this idea of like, you know, the openness, right. And, you know, the sense that, that the spirit's going to force us to be re enchanted, of course is problematic, right. God's not going to do things against our own will. Um, and at least within, for most at least for most charismatic traditions, God's not going to do that, right?
1: And within oddly, I think I argue in the second chapter, like an embrace of um our uh, our embodiment, our um, our physicality, our relationships, our effective um, orientation to the world, not just kind of focusing on our cerebral, rational, kind of engagement but that yeah. those can be ways to delighting in story and imagination and creativity and beauty um allowing the uh the text of scripture is not just something that we dissect for meaning or that we assert control over in terms of how it should be right. properly accepted it's something that like arrests us it's a it's alive like this is, you know it's um we are relating to the living God when we read scripture. Um, and that's always going to be dangerous, exciting, reassuring, hopeful. Um, and so, yeah, I guess those are all the ways in which I'm seeking to um, advocate for a re Or Other charismatics already see the world in those ways. Um, right.
0: Yeah. I love the language, you know, kind of something... To what you're saying, the language where we've learned that we need to—at least, I think—parts of of Christian tradition have learned that we need to stop thinking about grasping the text and rather being grasped by the text, right? Like what the text does in us, rather than what we do with it. um, I think is really important. Um, One more kind of like, I guess, practical question, and then we'll want to kind of like look at how some of the theology is is being shifted in the way that you are approaching this. You know, I think a lot of People, particularly who have not been in charismatic or Pentecostal spaces, they see some of, you know, if, if they go to, especially like in the States, a classical Pentecostal church and, uh, you know, there's speaking in tongues, there's, you know, all, all sorts of things that could be happening, a uh, healing happening, uh, and and the, and it and it can be without its excesses, right? It still is kind of odd, right? Like you go into a space and someone starts just talking in unknown unknown language and and sound like it's babbling. You know, it's going to put someone like ooh, there's something interesting, something weird here that I'm not I'm not ready for, not used to. But uh, but there is this kind of like I feel like an attitude of engagement with the slippery slope fallacy, right? where, where if we allow any of this, any of this stuff, right? Any of this quote unquote, speaking in tongues, healing, prophetic, what we're going to end with is what we see is the excesses of some of the strangeness, right? Like people doing really non-theological, non, uh, dare I say, non-Christian things like soul sucking at graves. And if you don't know what that is, good on you, right? Like, don't, don't even worry about it, right? Like doing things like quote unquote practicing prophetic by just going to a mall and just being like, I I see a red shirt. So I'm going to go talk to that guy with the red shirt. Right. Like these kind of things that are the excesses that have in so many ways almost damaged the way that we have been enchanted and and I can see that slippery slope, even though it is a fallacy, because they see one, they call themselves Pentecostals or charismatic. But over there they call themselves charismatic too. And that's just That's not just strange, that's like really strange, right? So for that person who's like, uh, this is a slippery slope, right? What are those, I don't even want to call them boundaries because that's not the right word, right? Like what is the way in which charismatic, thinking about the work that you've done here, that charismatics are not going crazy, right? That actually this stuff that we're talking about is is good theophany. It's good ways in which God is engaging within the world. Um, And, and here's maybe a way of protecting ourselves from, you know, the YouTube prophecy guy or the, you know, Facebook healer or whatever it is. I mean, we've all seen it. The Instagram prophets who are uber millionaires because they get people to give them a ton of money. Right. So long question, how do we kind of like, what's the way to think about this and how do we help people along the way?
1: Yeah, thank you. So I suppose, firstly, I guess I'd want to push back a little bit at the idea that absolutely there are some abusive and damaging um, excesses within some of the traditions that, you know, we see, and I wouldn't necessarily want to affirm. I guess the assumption of that is that there aren't abusive excesses in other places and spaces. Yeah. That- just doing different things. And so um, to have been formed in a kind of modernist, rationalist, individualized society where I have to be the one to master and control a body of knowledge by myself. Yeah. I, right. I carry my head into the classroom and my body is kind of at best irrelevant and at worst a, a distraction to this kind of, you know, I pull apart the text to look for all the kind of layers of editorial, you know, what kind right. of those aren't equally um d de- or not not necessarily equally but also dehumanizing kind of problematic um, yeah possessors. but we you know if if we don't see the the deformities of our own kind of traditions maybe in whiteness or in um you know a kind of particular class identity then that's problem. and the way we see our own deformities is by um interacting with difference and so people that find kind of charismatic speaking in tongues and prophecy strange spaces I would imagine haven't spent very much time in I don't know skate parks or nightclubs like different spaces in the world where oh crikey that's weird like how do yeah uh and somehow um or even in different traditions of church and so I guess how do we uh how do we be open to otherness um, as potentially a gift of um God to us? Um, but it, obviously there are ways in which uh some of those gifts can become um yeah <laughs> uh yeah pro- problematic in ways that um yeah uh put them out uh We might want to say that ceases to be an expression of authentic Christian faith. And I guess um, I always wrestle with this discernment of the spirit is itself a gift of the spirit, but it's a gift that's given given to the church. It's not given to me. It's not given to individuals. And so I guess it's how we as the church discern what God is doing. And if our expression of church is only our local congregation, which is very homogenous in terms of age and culture and um then what what does it mean to be the broad church of Christ across traditions right. and geography? Like that's how we discern together. Is this an authentic expression of Christian faith or not? Are we encountering is it witnessing to Christ? Um, for me, the Holy Spirit is always the spirit pulled out by you know by Christ at the right hand of the Father. And so how and where is it witnessing to Christ's present ministry? Um and um I was just thinking about Andrew Root's kind of work on Christopraxis he very much looks at like the cross and death to life as like the pattern of how God how the spirit works in the world yeah it's always from death to life and so um where are we seeing that pattern of um of kind of resurrection life and hope in these different spaces but it there aren't strict formulas for you know we we're given these guides and these tools but it's always it's gift of the spirit that we by which we discern and so therefore it's that yeah. which we together receive um and sometimes we don't always know um and what we then do in those spaces is this god is this not god maybe we need to just wait a little bit longer and um yeah. you know uh
0: not make rash judgments right yeah, yeah. Just
1: listen I, pray.
0: i really like you know i, I think it is it's it's uh I really like this. I like the, 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 it's, it's the answer of the non answer in some ways, right? Like yeah. the answer of, of kind of saying, look, yes, Pentecostals, charismatics, we have had our excesses. We're not yeah. denying that, but we often look at our own excesses because they are excesses in exuberance, right? Like in, 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 um, in in showy fashion, and I'm saying showy isn't like we're trying to be showy, but you know what I mean. Like it can be loud, it can be it can be out there, right? But we we so rarely talk about and point out the excesses of the church in logic, in reason, and the ways in which we have logic our own religion to death, right? And and have have a lot of excesses that are in other spaces that may not be the flashy, showy excesses. And we're actually okay with those excesses because we can rationalize them. We can make them work in our head. So because I can rationalize the overuse of a historical critical method and and I can, I can understand why someone might say that the works of the spirits aren't for today using this historical critical method, that itself, from what you're saying, is itself... Uh, an abuse, an overuse of of our God given uh, character, right? Like our abilities, God given abilities to logic and reason. I don't think that's often stated well enough, right? I think it's often we can easily, again, it's easier to point out the YouTube prophet, yeah. right, than it is to actually talk about, you know, the pastor who has abused the historical critical method to the point of killing the text, right? Yeah. Which which I always go back to McDonald. I love George McDonald and his book on Lilith. He uh, has this kind of beautiful scene where, long story short, he wants to grab a book. He grabs the book and and what used to be a live living kind of butterfly-esque book dies the second that he thinks he can finally control it. I, that to me is such a powerful metaphor for the way that we have over-logicked the text, right? And not been enchanted by it.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, Okay, so let's get on to the actual theology, right? That's some of the kind of like buildup. I think all that's really necessary and important, but um, a question rather than talking about the kind of specifics of the theology, just to ask you, maybe provide for us, right? Because you have a lot of different things. We talked a little bit about equality. Now we've talked a little about enchantment. Uh, but where have you seen kind of the most unique expression or or even best most unique divergence by saying if we look at this theological topic through the work of the spirit, it provides us a much different lens than maybe our a, a traditioned evangelical or even a traditioned mainline perspective might show us.
1: Um yeah, I'm not sure. I'm uh I guess so my I'm looking at various um, traditional kind of systematic doctrinal topics. Um, God, creation, salvation, mission, um, eschatology, et cetera, w- within the book. Um, but approaching them from, um, we already carry these kind of convictions, these doctrines in our practices of the gifts of the spirit. Um,
2: yeah.
1: They are, um, they're lived and they're felt before they're rationalized um, mm. and they're they're storied um, they I was saying this to my students um, last week like we've taught you to write a lot of essays um, as part of your formation for Christian ministry through this place how many good how have we taught you to be good storytellers good kind of um, creators of um yeah, like uh, in those imaginative kind of opportunities to engage with God, because God, God tells us a story. Our, our creeds are an affirmation of the story yeah. of and what he kind of came to do. And so that the kind of uh, charismatic approach is to say, yeah, how can we, how can we tell stories that absolutely carry um, Christian Orthodox doctrinal commitments, but they're sort of second order, if you like the, the invitation to experience god um to participate in that story um is and so trying to trying to retell our doctrines from that place of um affective part, affective participation um i think is what i'm trying to do in the, but but show how um they are yeah they are also orthodox they are christian um in discernible ways but it's just um yeah the methods by which we arrive at what we say are our christian doctrines
0: yeah um, yeah it's I, I like i like kind of that thought process when we're talking about again maybe the word embodied right like recognizing this whole thing is embodied i mean i i always think back to jurgen Moltmann's kind of like Autobiographical uh discussion about his his own conversion in a POW camp in Ireland, Scotland, Scotland, I think maybe, right? England. One of those. Uh sorry. I actually I'm saying this to someone who's British and I I shouldn't have just willy-nilly throw one of those over there, right? Um uh, but he the you know the story of him just just being given a New Testament in the Psalms and he's just reading it and one day he finds himself conversing with God, not having a con not not having a con- massive conversion experience, not having a but just falling into a relationality with God in conversation and realizing it one day it is such a powerful kind of story to the reality that this this thing that we're talking about, even this theology kind of written in your book is not the way in to that relationality, but understanding the expression of what that relationality is supposed to be. The head knowledge doesn't necessarily, it can, but doesn't necessarily create the practice. Oftentimes we're trying to describe the thing that is, uh, which is a very Pentecostal thing, right? This is that, right? This phrase of Pentecostals, early Pentecostals, especially in America, wanting to say this, this, this tongue, this healing, this prophecy is that which we've read about that, which we've, we've heard the story of, and it's, and it's here today. I think one of your chapters that's probably really unique compared to a lot of theological texts is the chapter on enjoyment Yeah, and talking about exhortation, how do you enact enjoyment and what are the potential dangers of that? I think as like a a unique kind of like space that I do think is very unique in what you're bringing. Um, What do you, what do you mean? Why are you wanting, what, what brought you to a place both to talk about enjoyment and exhortation being real with the dangers of such things, but like feeling like this was something that was lacking uh, and along the way my guess I've just gotten used to the fact that I ask way too many multifaceted questions. Like what what is this theology that you're talking about that's probably unique to a lot of people that have never heard of like enjoyment as a theological topic more than just a gift of the spirit?
1: Yeah. Um so I suppose the um when we encounter God through um, communion through reading the scriptures through praying with someone in a place of pain through our own silent intercession like we affirm that God ministers to us in those places and God doesn't just in ministering ministering to us God gives us his very self his very life um in those kind of um in those places and that life is Uh, always abundant overflowing joyful um that isn't just happiness or laughing or telling jokes but it's like a recognition of um our our dependence on him our you know our uh receiving of that very um life that overflows and transcends and transforms and transfigures um and continues to uh to work and to enliven um it should bring a deep sense of, like joy as um as gratitude as thanksgiving as praise as um celebration um but for charismatics that's again that's kind of just deeply embedded in what it means to be um a christian and that's why it's yeah it's not. It doesn't begin with the rational. It's it's that kind of encountering of who who God is, um, that just overflows into all aspects then of of who we are, and and that it delights. It's not. It's not a kind of um, only for the keen or only for happy times, or it's the whole of life as that life itself as a gift of abundant joy because it's about relating to um to this awesome almighty god of like it's an expression of love um and it's so yeah it's it's that kind of effective um orientation to the world that um delights in who god is as our first call and responsibility Mm. um and our vocation to just delight ourselves in who he is um that's none of these things are to say that we don't then attend carefully and studiously and rigorously to um, how our ideas intersect with one another and kind of do that kind of rational understanding yeah. of those things. Um, but that's not the first and only and primary, like primary thing that we do actually are. Right. Our call is just to delight in God um, as we receive uh, his very life, as he gives himself to us in those places. Um, so it's both gift and its kind of vocation, I guess, joy. Um that infuses then everything else. Um, I kind of argue in the final chapter, like it's it's our expectation that we will enjoy our faith, we will enjoy our life. Um, and sometimes those times where life just isn't. This is where enjoyable is not a very easy word because enjoyable sounds fun, sounds happy, sounds all those right. positive emotions. Clearly right. joy isn't those things, but this sense in which even and especially when life sucks and it does a lot of the time, still our privilege and our vocation is to say, thanks be to God who is good, whose love endures forever. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of the... beginning and the telos of um of what it means to be human um yeah what salvation is for and about and if where we've lost that sense of um the joy of the lord is our strength um
0: yeah yeah i I,
1: deeply probably i
0: i was thinking about this you know in relation to to that work and thinking about you know i i it's interesting because I think sometimes, and particularly again, I, American context. I know it's different uh, in the UK, but um, you know, oftentimes that an enjoyment, we're we're almost told like, well, this this finding this joy, this kind of in, engaging this joy. Well, it it all comes from going to church, right? Like it, it starts by going to church, and then you can carry it on into the week. And it, that's always been a problematized kind of idea in my head to go. I it seems odd to me that we kind of privilege the church in these spaces that are really the spaces for the spirit in which the church can be an expression of what the spirit is already in at work and doing within the world not the starting place of the spirit yeah. and, I, and and it's hard for me to kind of talk about that I think sometimes because it feels like underprivileging the church when it really is just trying to order the work of the spirit is always at work and is always the starting place for the way we engage with the world and these expressions of how we do it are multifaceted and, and have some necessities like community and exhortation and these places that we need to find, right? I, I, when you say, what are the dangers? Maybe maybe the dangers, you, you have a section entitled, The Dangers of Encouraging, right? Which seems odd, right? Because when people hear encouraging, they're like, Oh yeah, you should always be encouraging. What is the danger? Right. Especially in light of what you're just talking about and saying this kind of, we should always, the, the, the work of the spirit is an enjoyable work. How do we, how do we find danger in, in that kind of encouraging?
1: Yeah. So I suppose, um, I guess that there are certain cultural, um, maybe manifestations of what joy should look like in different um, mm. cultural spaces and settings that we can then put on other people. Um, you don't look like you're being earnest enough. You don't look like you're being joyful enough. You don't seem as if you are celebrating in the appropriate way. It can be deeply uh, kind of yeah. damaging and problematic. And or the kind of jumping to, it's fine, don't worry about kind of the the pain and the struggle because, you know, everything's fine in the lord there's a sort of um i think the way in which within church um how we train our emotions to feel right towards god um in the way that we seek to train our minds to think right about god and the way in which we seek to train our bodies to live uh kind of yeah. the right actions in the world i think the role of the church particularly in terms of orientating our affections rightly towards god but a recognition that those are you know god gives us a variety of um you know we, it's okay to be angry towards god it's okay to lament it's okay to doubt it's okay to um struggle because um god God transcends those. It's not about our present kind of feelings, but at the same time, they, they have their, if grace is both gift and vocation, it's that which God gives doesn't force. And it's that which we kind of give in response It's there's that freedom yeah. in entering into those places of joy in any spaces where that's, um, demanded or kind of manipulated or forced, um, as a are like, "Oh, don't worry, stop being so miserable about you know that horrendous mm. yeah. going on here. you're just supposed to rejoice um no one I guess no one else can tell someone else to rejoice, but likewise, we can't tell someone not to rejoice um it's always that that free response to God's free gift, I guess, um yeah, and yeah
0: i i I love that in the sense of I was just even thinking my own space, right, like I'm a Pentecostal Anglican priest. I'm one of those weird ones. I think I've got good company in so many ways, but uh, but I'm not a charismatic, charismatic, right? Like, oftentimes my my Pentecostal expression is much more muted compared to maybe some some brothers and sisters uh, in the Pentecostal church, and it's interesting how that can be so not looked down upon, but kind of like that is the uh, test case, right? Like how exuberant are you? Are you really, you know, I, I had, uh, I don't even want to get into that, but we we ha- we have like these spaces in which people kind of use that as the test case for are you are you living in the joy of the spirit because you're not sad or because you are you don't have a rough time in your life? Yep. And it I think it's more damaging to people who on one hand would, would want to say, yes, I am, but I'm still having a hard day, or I'm still having a hard period of my life or having grief. Right. Um, it's hard for some people to recognize that these full body experiences are also a part of our God-given life. Right. Um, yeah, I want to encourage everyone to go, uh, pick up the book. Um, I think it's Baker, right? So it's, Anywhere books are sold, you're going to find uh, charismatic Christianity. So I, I'm encouraging everyone, and I'm saying this because we have a few minutes left. But now, for anyone who's listening, I'm sorry. This is now just my question because I can't, I cannot, I cannot let go uh, to at least have a, a little bit of time to talk about what you had described was your PhD work because uh, I'm just so interested. So this is now just my questions and hopefully other people are interested it's your, well I, before it's before left. i dive into that any last thoughts on your book anything that i missed in asking you questions that you're like hey you know what this would be important for your listeners to to know about the book
1: i don't think so you um yeah you i guess what didn't come out was these kind of seven emphases that we talked about two of them right particularly, and enjoyment there are a total of 7 that they're seeking to kind of uh describe and analyze but yeah absolutely um they Should read the book and find out more. But hit me yeah, with you. They,
0: they'll get the other five in the book. Yeah. Um, okay, so your research, right? Just a, a, a topic of conversation in my house, right? Especially in light of now, we just had our second kid. Uh, both of our families are are uh ingrained in Pentecostal, particularly classical Pentecostal uh denominations. Um what did you find? Like when you're talking about, I know that's a hard question to ask cuz I'm just like jumping ahead of all of the work that you did and saying I just want to know what you found. What was the the clashing of the here's what the church expected of women, particularly those who had children, um versus what women or even kind of our theological perceptions like you talk about in some degree the the chapter on equality, there's another one. Um what what was the difference what was the clash I just yeah. and then how so did you I see used, it yeah
1: I used to sum it up by saying like how do you do this with your baby and this at the same time where yeah. they kind of each like embody a um, having gone from finding a sort of charismatic worshiping tradition to be deeply fruitful affirming you know those kind of spaces where you're able to just um park or pause all of your commitments and responsibilities and kind of enter into this space of um abandonment to god um receiving from him as your primary you know the eyes closed arms raised kind of posture strongly symbolizes that like sense of openness of dependence of um all else you know falling away but then suddenly you have to have eyes on an um this child that's your kind of responsibility at all times and you can't step out of your life for those kind of transforming encounters and so how and i think it was it was noticing that there was something in both of those scripts that were problematic mm. that within a kind of charismatic worshipping space that was this sense of abandoning of our lives to worship god that isn't what's being said, but it's absolutely what's being modelled in this kind of ideal yeah. worshiping posture. You close your eyes and you raise your arms as a way of stepping away from, um, from the material world. And so very much in the book, try, in the kind of charismatic Christianity book, how do we reintegrate those that doesn't lose the supernatural, um, in quotes, the spiritual, um, but sees it as much more integrated with the material, with the embodied, with the effective, as I've been describing. But also there was this problem in the kind of, motherhood side of the role which was that a, a woman usually uh, but the parents should be ever attentive to every single need of their child this kind of um, intensive mm. mothering that it was kind of called in the literature as if like that the child's happiness and well-being was entirely and completely the responsibility of the mother's effective mothering and it was kind of trying to diagnose that both of these women are living in the um, intersection of these um false narratives if you like that are kind of expect like warped narratives that are expecting um abandonment of responsibility in a worshiping space or over emphasis on their response yeah. kind of mothering space and actually that's not the the vision that christ gives us for discipleship for worship or kind of parenting and so mary became a really key figure in terms of she who you know uh was the teacher of God in Christ um, who utterly, you know, fulfilled her mothering responsibilities and yet also had this prophetic ministry through the Magnificat who, you know, was still there in um, Pentecost with the disciples. Um, And so what she has to kind of teach um, as a, as a role model for faith, uh, the Luke um, in the gospel definitely holds her up as, but that as Protestants, we have minimized because we're, Mm. Scared of the kind of Catholic implications of overemphasizing Mary, um, right? But in terms of her her embodiment, her role, her call, um she she brings a sense of integration to what it means to be worshiping parent um in, I argue, a liberative way. So I've written a really small booklet that kind of summarizes the as uh, with Grove booklets, and as I to say, my next publication it won't be so focused on parenting, I don't think, but the way in which Mary um, yeah, I think has lots to teach us about, um, um, education and it can all like different aspects of kind of, of our world.
0: Um, that's, that's fascinating. I mean, it's fascinating because even as, as I'm listening to it and thinking, okay, now think about the flip side, me as clearly not a woman and not having a child. I mean, I have children, but you know, birthing children, um, it's really interesting because in both scenarios, it feels like men have zero responsibility in the act of the act of taking care of or or ushering, and at the same time are the full benefactors, right? In the sense of, well, I don't have to I don't have to worry about a child. I can completely abandon even to the abandonment of my own wife and or child. and this kind of worshiping experience because women have to bear the brunt, the fullness of this effective child rearing, as you as you called it, uh, as the literature called it, right? So it, it's really interesting because it feels like a system set up just to say women have to bear all of the responsibility and men can be free to pursue that type of uh experiential spirituality does that does that am i off here on that
1: yeah no i think it's it definitely ends up being gendered it doesn't mean that every man and every woman has those experiences but right um, yeah the way in which um we're inculturated to assume certain responsibilities and then i guess especially if you're in a kind of complementarian church setting where that's even more emphasized um and So both trying to say, how do, how do women encounter God in the materiality of their lives? And how is that just as authentically charismatic as these other kind of expressions of being able to, you know, give prophetic words or kind of pray for healing or, you know, whatever else, um, and also how are women freed up from those responsibilities in order to participate in those right. so kind of trying to argue two opposite things at the same time, which is a lot of the challenge, I think, within kind of um, feminist informed literature. Um, women are just the same. So let us at the table, women are not the same. And therefore you need to make special accommodations to kind of make it possible mm. to participate at the, at the table. Um, but yeah, seeing how the the spirit um enchants, enlivens those different spaces um, for the flourishing of both men and women. So yeah, I want to do further work on that, but, you know.
0: Well, I th- I think we're just going to have to have you back, uh, <laughs> particularly yeah. in light of when that further work is done and the book is yeah, done, yeah. then we'll have another conversation. Uh, um, I'd be delighted. But Helen, thank you so much. Um, is there anywhere else that people can get connected to you, follow you, find other books that you've written? How How's the best way for people to... To follow the work that you are doing?
1: Um, Yeah, so Trinity College Bristol website, there's a little bio about me and public, like updated publications. Um, My email address is on there as well, my college email address. Um, So I'm always happy to engage with uh, interested readers. Um, Yeah, so I'd be really happy to hear from people and engage further.
0: Perfect. Helen, thank you so much. And I look forward to having you again.
1: all right.